0: Well, years ago when my kids were very young, I'm sure like many of you had your kids bathe together before bath time. It's a matter of expedience, right? You're trying to get everybody ready for bed. And so when they're really young, uh, they can take baths together. And at a certain point that gets a little awkward, right? And so we had a moment like that where we were like, okay, uh, we've reached the end of this, right? So one of those evenings before bedtime. We're having bath time, and Nixon is in the bath with her brother, and she looks down at him, and then she looks down at herself, and she says, Mom, Dad, when is mine going to grow in like Coben's did? <laughs> to which we said, never. That's not, that's not going to happen because you're a girl, and he's a boy. Now, our culture is sending a different message every day, The world's values are permeating nearly every movie, every TV show, TV commercial, online ad. They're championed through social media influencers. And even though the Bible teaches us how to think about sexuality, the world often shapes our desires and feelings in ways that we don't even perceive. The stories that our culture celebrates contain an alternate vision and version of the truth, goodness, beauty, We can't help be deeply affected by these things. Some of our most foundational beliefs about sexuality come from a blend of Disney movies, romantic comedies, novels, and social media posts and influencers. This is the power of story. Stories can make us feel good about bad things, and stories can make us feel bad about the good things. And so what's the problem? Why can't Christians just go along with the cultural norms and beliefs of the day? Why can't we just fit in? Well, part of the reason the church can't just fit in is inherent in our very name. The Greek word where we get church is ekklesia. Ekklesia actually means to be called out. The church are the called out ones. In fact, the scripture says, come out from them, come out from the world and be separate. That's what it means to be the church. We've been called out of this culture, out of the kingdom of this world. And we've been, we've been put into, we've been transferred into the kingdom of, of God. We are the called out ones, called out of this culture of the world. And now we represent a heavenly culture, a a kingdom culture. It's why Jesus said to his disciples, you will be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. We're going to be in the world, but we're going to not be of the world because we're going to represent a completely different kingdom with completely different values and a completely different authority. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As the called out ones, we are to not conform to the pattern of this world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so Christians do not lean on their own understanding or the culture's understanding of anything. In fact, the scripture would tell us in Proverbs 3 that a Christian in all their ways acknowledges the Lord, and we do that by submitting to the word of God as our authority. Conversely, our culture preaches that you should do you, find you, embrace yourself and be yourself and do whatever is right in your own eyes. The Bible says that's idolatry. To do what's right in your own eyes is sinful. It's wicked and idolatrous. So Christians, here's the big idea for this entire series: Christians are called out to be countercultural. If you have our app, this is where you fill in the blank with these words in all caps. If you don't have our app, you can download it now. It's called the City Church. Love it. Go to message notes all the verses and points and quotes, everything's gonna be there for you. It's a great way to stay connected and engage in our time together. Here's the goal in this series. Our goal is to persuade you, your kids, our students, who in their classes right now, in our youth ministry right now, are talking about these same things in an age-appropriate way. But our goal is to persuade you to consider the beauty of God's good design for gender and sexuality and to delight in it, to celebrate it. So this week, we're talking about gender. Next week, we're talking about sexuality. And then finally, in the third week, we're going to talk about our approach. How do we approach a culture that is rejecting Christians and what they believe more and more every day? Tim Keller, who pastored in Manhattan for 30 years and reached thousands of secular skeptics, unbelievers said this, not talking about this, gender, sexuality, not talking about this is no longer an option for the church. If anything, it's counterproductive. At this point in history, Keller said it's better to acknowledge out of the gate that we represent an entirely different kingdom with entirely different values and under an entirely different authority. Ambiguity, he said on this, isn't kindness, clarity is. And so using the scripture and content from Dr. Michael Clary's book, God's Good Design, and God Made Boys and Girls by Marty Mikowski, you will be presented with a vision of gender and sexuality that is good, true, and beautiful. It's the vision of scripture, not the vision of this culture. But because we have been so thoroughly shaped by the subversive messaging of our culture, you might find yourself agreeing with what we have to say, with what the scripture has to say with your mind, but then resist it in your heart because it might not feel good. This is because of how compelling stories are. A well-written screenplay, talented actors, a beautiful soundtrack, a gripping gripping plot line can combine to move our emotions so powerfully that they actually change our values and even form new desires. After decades of this sort of messaging, it's clearly broken through in our culture. We've been trained for so long in an alternate version of sexuality that our culture actually honors sexual immorality and dishonors God's good design. But here's the truth we're gonna find in this series. God created human gender, and sexuality to reflect his own nature and to bring glory to himself. Men and women of various personality types and gifts can glorify God with their individuality, but this freedom of expression is not without limit. Men and women will honor God in ways that are distinct from one another, and these distinctions are important. At the end of each day of creation, in the beginning, God defined what he designed What he made as good. Everything God designed, everything God made, and the way God made it, God said it is good. And then he told Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. So they were faced with a choice. They could trust God's definition of what is good, what's beautiful, what's true, or define it for themselves. Define for themselves what they think is good, true, beautiful, and true. They chose to define it themselves and sin entered the world and broke the cosmos. The question we've got to ask before deciding on anything is has God already defined gender and sexuality? Has God designed it in such a way and called it good that we should just submit to what God has to say about these issues? And if he has, what does God say? So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. You can scroll down in our app or the verses will be on the screen behind me as well. Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he, God, created human beings. Male and female, he created or he designed, he fashioned. So in the beginning, the Bible says, God creates, he designs human beings. He designs human beings in his own image, male and female, he creates them, he designs them. So God is creator, you and I are created. God is designer, you and I are the designed. And God designed human beings to flourish as male and female. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Jesus speaks to these issues. Lots of people in our culture today will say, hey, I don't like the church. I'm not really down with the Bible, but I love Jesus. Well, how do you know you love Jesus? How do you know you like Jesus if you don't know what he says? Well, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus actually speaks to this issue. He's asked about marriage and divorce and how this works. He's, he's, he's faced with some difficult questions of the culture of his day. And we're gonna see how Jesus responds to these questions. You see, Jesus, contrary to what our culture says and preaches, actually talked about gender and sexuality. Matthew chapter 19, verse four. He's faced with this question about marriage, <clears throat> about divorce. And notice the way that Jesus begins his answer. Haven't you read the scriptures? In other words, what Jesus is saying is that when you're faced with a difficult question, you go to the scriptures. You don't do what's right in your own eyes. We don't listen to what the culture has to say. When we're faced with a difficult question, we go to what the scripture says. Haven't you read the scriptures Jesus said? Jesus replied, they record, the scriptures record, that from the beginning... God made them male and female. So Jesus taught us to understand gender and sexuality, which we'll get to next week, from the beginning, where God's design is clear. Here's what Jesus is saying, that the beginning design is God's will for each and every person when it comes to gender, when it comes to sexuality, that we answer these questions by going back to the beginning. Haven't you read the scriptures? From the beginning, Jesus said, that's how he answers this question question, from the beginning, from the beginning design. How, do, how are we going to make sense of gender and sexuality in our culture today? Well, Jesus say, you need to read the scriptures. And in the beginning, here's what the scriptures had to say. In the beginning, we find God's good design and will for all of us. And we need to remember, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. If you believe In Jesus. If you love Jesus, then you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus rose from the grave. He proved that He's God. And so when we hear from Jesus right here, we're hearing from God Himself. Jesus is God in the flesh. To be a Christian means you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that He is God. If you don't believe that Jesus is God or that He rose from the grave, then you aren't a Christian. A Christian says, well, I've got this question about gender, sexuality. What what do I do? Well, I believe what Jesus believes every single time because Jesus is God. And Jesus answered these questions by saying, we go to the scriptures, we go back to the beginning and we look at God's good design. We look at God's will for each and every person. David wrote in Psalm 139, starting in verse 13, he said this, you God made, you made me but he takes it so much further. Watch what he says. You made all the delicate and inner parts of my body. David's saying, you designed, you formed, you fashioned every delicate and even the inner parts of who I am. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. So how do we respond? as the people of God, to a God that made us and formed us and fashioned us and designed every delicate and inner part of our bodies. How, how do we respond? Here's how David responds: Thank you, God. Thank you for making me the way that you made me. Thank you for designing and crafting every little part of who I am. Thank you for making me, David said, so wonderfully complex. Watch what he says. Your workmanship, everything about who I am is the workmanship of the designer. Every part of who I am is your workmanship, God. And your workmanship, watch what he says, is marvelous, it's good. God, your design is good. The way that you made me is good. It's right, it's beautiful. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Do you hear how tender and compassionate this designer is. This isn't a factory where there's the mass production of humankind. This is tender, individual, compassionate care that each and every person is designed with. So God designed every part of you. He put together every part with tender care. Now at the genetic level, did you know that every cell in your body is sexed. It has a sex. Every last cell in your body is either XX or XY. Men carry XY chromosomes, women carry XX chromosomes. The human body, watch this, has an estimated 37 trillion cells that make up your body. And every last one of those 37 trillion cells are sexed, male or female. For example, a woman's heart tissue has female heart cells. And a man's heart tissue has male heart cells. Did you know that every part of the brain works differently in men than it does in women? And some of you are like, bro, I could have told you that before I got in here. there's nothing you've said that's made more sense than that. And like in the entire time I've been at this church, right? I mean, every last one of us get that, but, but it's true. Like even on a scientific level, did you know that parts of the brain in women are bigger than that same part in a man? And then the other parts in a man's brain are bigger than what is in a woman's brain. And then watch this. It's going to make total sense to you. It's going to blow your mind and make absolute sense all at the same time, right? Right? Did you know that a woman's brain and a man's brain sig- signals through neurotransmitter like the opposite direction from each other? Their brains work differently, right? That, that's just, it, it, it's, it's science. Our brains are completely different. It goes for every part of who we are down to every last one of those 37 trillion cells that are sexed, either male or female. Feminist scholar and lesbian activist, Camille Pagilla agrees. Now, there's plenty we're going to disagree with her on. You're going to see that next week. But she agrees here. She said this. The cold, biological, hard truth is that sex changes are actually impossible. Every single cell of the human body remains coded, designed with one's birth gender for life. And there's nothing that you can do about that. It's why your body will ultimately try and seek to reject any change to its gender. Your mind, your heart, every last one of those 37 trillion cells will reject any effort to change it. So to put it in another way, All 37 trillion cells in your body testify in unison that you are either male or female, that God designed you male or female. And these differences are not merely incidental. They are designed by a designer, which says that our differences actually mean something, that each difference between man and woman has a God-ordained purpose or goal for that which it was created. In other words, God sovereignly, graciously, and lovingly made you the gender that you are for your good and his glory. Paul would say this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece. That's the Greek word poema, which is where we get an English word poem or poem, however you say it. Masterpiece, Poema. In other words, God's workmanship, as David would put it in Psalm 139, is a work of art. You are God's work of art, created in his image as a male or female for your good and for his glory. And so our response should be like David, to appreciate. Thank you, God, for you've made me so wonderful, so marvelous. Our response should be to appreciate. It should be to celebrate each gender, both male and female, because both male and female represent the image of God. And although the Bible teaches the equal value of men and women, the whole story of Scripture is moving to highlight, glorify, and even exaggerate our differences, our distinctions. The culture's response is to downplay these differences and to say that men and women are the exact same. This is androgyny. Androgyny refers to the blending of both male and female characteristics in a single person. And so an androgynous person might call themselves non-binary or queer, meaning they don't see themselves as male or female. And the goal in androgyny is that men become more like women and women become more like men. I read one feminist scholar this week that said, a person actually becomes more enlightened as he or she becomes more androgynous. Androgyny is fast becoming the sexual ideal in our modern world. Androgyny, male and female becoming more and more like each other. Several months ago, I had picked up my daughter Nixon from gymnastics. She had been at school. She went straight to gymnastics. I went to pick her up. She gets in the car, say, how was gymnastics? We talked for a little bit. And she said, hey, dad, did you know that girls can do everything boys can do? And I said, no, they can't. And I said, not only can they not, boys can't do everything that girls can do. And she said, that offends me. I said, well, I'm sorry that offends you. Sometimes the truth hurts. But then I said this, girls can't be husbands and fathers. Boys can't be wives or moms. And she said, oh, I guess you're right. Girls can't do everything boys can do, and boys can't do everything girls can do. You see, the the problem that often finds its way into discussions like this is a misunderstanding of what equality means. Equality doesn't mean sameness. Sameness is bland and boring. If you go to an ice cream shop and they only sell vanilla ice cream and no other flavors, you're going to be pretty disappointed because sameness is bland. It's Boring. Equality is not the same as uniformity. God is way more the creative than that. God can create endless variety and distinction without altering the value. Christian equality means equal worth before God, while at the same time recognizing and celebrating the wonder and glory of our differences between male and female. Men and women have different bodies, different natures, different abilities, different aptitudes, interests, and callings. And diminishing the difference between men and women, which is what androgyny seeks to do, ultimately diminishes our unique glory. Men and women image God in their beings, as those made to do something uniquely godlike. Men are called to image God's holy and just masculinity, using their strength to lead, to provide for, and to protect others. God gives women a nurturing and life giving strength to complement man's masculine strength. Her feminine strength was given to complement man's strength, not compete with it. God's designed girls to be more nurturing, compassionate, creative. God has designed boys to generally be more protective, to be providers, to be builders. My boys are loud, they're destructive, they're rough, they like to wrestle. For years, my boys had a woody doll with no head. They had beat the head off of it, right? I mean, in fighting and and hitting it against stuff, right? It just had no head. So we had a headless woody doll for years. That's just the way my boys are. We had holes in our walls, right, from our boys. Our girl just wasn't like that. Nixon is a lot calmer, milder. She likes to read. She likes to draw. She's been crafting for like three days recently, and her craft supplies are are all over the counters in our kitchen. That's just the way that she's wired. She would rather hug or cuddle than wrestle. But it's not what we do or what we like or what we think that makes someone a boy or a girl. All boys and girls are not created the same. They will have different preferences and personalities. That doesn't change their gender or mean that their gender is wrong. Gender isn't determined by your personality or your preferences. And so there's girls who like to climb trees or play with trucks, they're still girls. There's boys that like to cook or play with dolls, they're still boys. Stereotypes don't determine gender. Gender stereotypes that are traditionally associated with what a boy does or with what a girl does can become a source of confusion for those who don't fit the mold. No, gender is God's gift. It's God's design and God doesn't make mistakes, which means gender does not change and it is not fluid. God's workmanship is marvelous, David said. He made you a girl or a boy on purpose and for his glory. And every single one of those 37 trillion cells in your body are saying in unison, God designed you to be a male or female for your good and for his glory. You are his masterpiece. The image of God is expressed in male and female humans, Genesis teaches us. The masculine and feminine qualities of each are not random or incidental. They're not social constructs to be changed as we see fit. Masculinity and femininity are both grounded in God's nature, his design, and his purposes. Masculinity and femininity is a gift from God. It's designed by God for his glorious purpose. So watch this. God's best for you is to fully embrace and pursue that God-assigned gender. That he made you to be. So, countercultural truth number one today is this gender is not decided, only acknowledged. Gender is not something to be decided upon. It can only be acknowledged, acknowledged, because you have a God assigned gender that is God's gift to you because he is good. And what he does is good and beautiful. So now I wanna deal with some of the pushback. Some of the pushback to gender being acknowledged and not decided, some pushback to God's good design. Number one, because of sin, because of the fall, a very small percentage of people are born with genetic disorders. Some of those disorders affect a person's sexual characteristics. Some examples. There's a genetic condition where an individual has both male and female sex organs. There are a number of genetic diseases that affect hormone production and sensitivity that result in abnormal sexual development. Some may have XY chromosomes, but develop female organs, and vice versa, where someone has XX chromosomes, but develops male organs. So it's important for Christians to show kindness and compassion to those who have genetic disorders, recognizing that the way forward in each of these scenarios looks different for each person and is incredibly nuanced. Number two, because of sin, because of the fall, the Bible says that every last one of us are born into sin, which means we have this attitude bent towards sin and rebellious against God. Every last One of us. So, because of sin, because of the fall, every last one of us are born wanting to go our own way and not God's way. And so we act in ways that hurt God, that hurt others, but then we also begin to desire ungodly things. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 17, verse 9 the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately. Wicked. Because we're born into sin, our hearts are cursed. Jeremiah would say they're desperately wicked. And then he would go on to say in Jeremiah chapter 17, so who can trust it? Because my heart is wicked and evil and desires ungodly things. I can't trust my heart. Paul would say in Romans chapter 1 that we think up foolish thoughts about who God is and what he's like and what he wants. We think up foolishness left to ourselves. So because of sin, we can't trust our minds, we can't trust our thoughts, we can't trust our our hearts. So what do we do? We go our own way. The heart's wicked, our minds think up foolish thoughts, we start to think, we feel wrong things, we begin to question the way God made us and we can see this today in gender dysphoria where the claim is that someone's gender can be different than their biological sex. And so it's not uncommon to hear a man say he feels like he's a woman trapped in a man's body or vice versa. For such a man, his subjective experience of gender is who he really is, regardless of his body parts or chromosomes. Our culture is believing that the body has nothing to do with one's gender, that gender is just a matter of feelings. In this view, The creator, God, is replaced by the individual who recreates himself according to his own subjective feelings. Just as God created by speaking words in Genesis chapter 1, the belief is that men and women can simply declare that they identify as another gender, and then everyone else is supposed to go along with it. And anyone who claims to be a woman trapped in a man's body is essentially telling God that he needs to repent for making a mistake when he created him or her. Well, Jesus said that God created us male and female from the beginning, that that is his good design. So gender dysphoria is something to be resisted, not embraced, because our minds think up foolish thoughts, because our hearts are always gonna lead us astray. They can't be trusted. So gender dysphoria is not something to be resisted, or it's not something to be embraced, it's something to be Resisted. Paul David Tripp, who's a popular uh, Christian author, theologian, pastor, uh, Christian counselor, he said this, sin distorts our perspective. What seems beautiful is not always beautiful, and what feels right is not always right. Because our hearts are wicked, because our minds think up foolish thoughts, we go our own way. Tripp said it like this, That sin distorts our perspective about what's good and true and beautiful. And so to this person, what seems beautiful isn't beautiful and what feels right just isn't right. Three, number three, pushback. When we talk about gender and sexuality, it's very difficult because of how personal the topic is. Some will say that their gender that they identify as or their sexuality is their identity. So to disagree with them means rejecting them as a person and not just their beliefs. And if this were true, it would be very understandable. But your gender, your sexuality is not at the core of who you are. It's not the core of your identity. The Bible gives us a different vision. The Bible says your gender, your sexuality are not your primary identity, that what you are, what you do, your your identity actually starts with whose you are. Remember what Jesus said. Haven't you read the scriptures? From the beginning, we have a designer. We were made by God. Our identity starts with whose we are, who we belong to. So, So we as humankind, first of all, we are designed, but then secondly, as followers of Jesus, did you know the scripture says you don't belong to yourself? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that followers of Jesus, he says this, you do not belong to yourself. You don't belong to yourself, which means you're not in charge of you. You, you don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. The scripture says that because of our sin, we are following our master, the devil, into hell. That we belong to the kingdom of darkness and we're actually following our master, the devil. But when you give your life to Jesus, you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness and you're placed into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the, the, the sun. You're, you're transferred from one kingdom to the next. And that ransom that bought you out of the kingdom of darkness and places you in the kingdom of God, that ransom, that high price that God paid was his son's death on a cross that sets you free from sin and death. And so God says, I paid a high price for you. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to Jesus, you are no longer your own. You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price. You belong to God. So not only were you designed by God, you belong to God. And so who you are, your identity starts with whose you are. That you were designed by God. And now as a Christian, you belong to God. It's why Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to die to yourself. Our culture will say, hey, listen, you need to embrace yourself, find yourself, celebrate yourself. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Die to yourself and follow me. Our culture will say, well, if you love me, you'll just support me. Well, Jesus Loved people, but he did not support them. He did not support them in their sin. Think about the woman caught in adultery. Yes, Jesus said, hey, neither do I condemn you. But he also said, go now and leave your life of sin. In other words, repent. Stop doing what you were doing before. If you're gonna follow me, you've gotta deny yourself. Die to yourself and follow me. Jesus, yes, loved people. But Jesus also said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, turn from your sin. I love you. I've I've come to rescue you, to to die for you. But if you're going to follow me, you must leave your life of sin. Die to yourself and follow me. And then Jesus would say, if you love me, so many in our culture will say, hey, I I don't like the church. I'm not really into the Bible, but but I love Jesus. Okay, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command If you love me, you're going to obey what I command. And so we cannot say that we love Jesus and not obey his commands here. You see, the problem, the confusion that our culture is getting wrong is the belief that love and affirmation are the same thing. That if you love me, it means you're going to affirm and celebrate who I am and what I do. Listen, every parent in the room knows that love and affirmation are two completely different. Every parent loves their kids and would die for their kids, but would also say, if you keep talking to me like that, we're gonna have a problem. We're gonna spank that butt, right? If you keep doing what you're doing uh, that I do not affirm, you're gonna see how ju- how much I don't affirm what you're doing or how you're living or the way that you're talking to me right now, right? We love our kids. We would die for our kids. And because of that love, we cannot affirm everything they think, do, and say. It's because of love that we do not affirm something that will hurt or ruin a person's life. It's because of love. And Jesus practiced the same kind of love. Jesus was about transformational inclusion, not affirmational inclusion. Transformational inclusion, not affirmational inclusion. Transformational love, not affirmational transformational love that says, I love you, but you must repent of your sin. Deny yourself, die to yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's transformational love, transformational inclusion. Did you know in Ephesians chapter two, right after Paul says, you are God's masterpiece, the very next words are created new in Christ. When you follow Jesus, you are born again immediately. And then you begin this life of transformation. You are a new person in Christ. Jesus takes dead people and he breathes life into them. And the old is gone and the new has come. That's transformational love. It's transformational inclusion. In the beginning, in the garden, the serpent, the devil, attacks Adam and Eve by challenging them about what God told them. If you remember, the serpent would ask Adam and Eve, did God really say this? No, 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 God didn't really say that. Challenges, them, questions what God really said. and the enemy is doing the same thing today. He wants us to question what God has said. Wants us to question our identity in God. Wants us to question what God has told us about who we are. Our culture, which by the way, is the most depressed, the most anxious, the most suicidal generation ever. That's not a cut down, that's just the facts. It just is. Our culture is increasingly, this generation is increasingly attacking what Christians believe by asking us the same question that the devil asked Steve. God didn't really say that. Come on, did God really say that Jesus didn't really talk about? This generation thinks they figured out something about gender and sexuality that no one in 6,000 years of the history of the people of God has believed. And so we have a choice. Are you gonna trust God? Are you gonna trust his word that his people have been following for 6,000 years? Are you gonna trust the guy that rose from the grave proving that he's God? and said, God made male and female from the beginning. This is God's good design. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust yourself and do what's right in your own eyes? The Bible calls that idolatry. Are you going to trust this culture that is preaching a completely different message than what we find in the scripture? Are you going to trust the guy that rose from the grave? Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm trusting God. I'm trusting his word. I'm trusting the guy that rose from the grave. Listen, I want you to believe God's good design and delight in it and pursue it. But if you don't, and if you question what the scripture says and what Jesus has taught us, listen, you may go your own way. That's what the scripture says. That's not changing what I believe. To a degree, I don't don't care what the culture believes. I don't care what they're preaching. I'm trusting the guy that rose from the grave. You didn't rise from the grave. Not one person in this current generation died and rose again. Jesus rose from the grave. He's proved that he's God. I believe what Jesus believes every single time. There's nothing that's gonna change that. And the same should be true for you. You should trust the guy that rose from the grave, that proved that he's God and said, we should turn to the scriptures and go back to the beginning where we will find that God made you the gender that you are with the personality that you have, with the traits that you have for your good and for his glory. You are more special than you could ever possibly imagine. You are God's masterpiece. And so, gender is not decided. It can only be acknowledged. And God's best for you is to fully embrace and pursue the gender that God made you. Psalm 19 says this, God, your commands are right and they bring joy and they are sweeter than honey. God made you a boy. He made you a girl for his glory and for your good, for your joy. And so it's for your joy. It's for your joy that you might believe in and delight in and pursue God's good design. It's right, it's true, it's beautiful. And as the psalmist said, it's so sweet. It's so sweet. When you pursue God's good design. Would you pray with me? Just heads bowed, eyes closed, just kind of a moment between you and the Lord right now. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, we, we've all like sheep, we've all gone astray, we've each gone to our own way, we've, we've turned away from God's way and we've gone our own way. The Bible calls that sin. That every last one of us have sinned against God, we've broken God's law and we've fallen short of God's standard to have a relationship with him and to go to heaven when we die because we've gone our own way. But the great news of the gospel that we find all the way back in Isaiah 53 is that Isaiah said, even though we've all gone our own way, we've gone astray, it says this, the Lord has laid on him as Jesus, the sin of us all. You broke God's law. And in the same way there's a fine to be paid when you break man's law, there's a fine when you break God's law. And the fine for breaking God's law is eternity separated from God in hell. But the great news of the gospel is that while we are yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for you by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross to save you from your sin. So the scripture says, if you will abandon all hope, abandon all hope in you ever being good enough to be right with God, abandon all hope in doing better and and, and trying harder, abandon all hope in yourself and trust in Jesus's payment of your fine, believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be forgiven of your sin. You'll be made right with God. And you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven, not because of how good of a person you are, but because of how good Jesus was and because Jesus rescued you from your sin through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And so some of you are here today, you've been going your own way. You've been astray. You've been resisting God's way and you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time today. If that's you, grab that connection card of the seat back in front of you, fill it out, check that box that says you're committing your life to Christ today, take it to the Welcome Center in our lobby, we've got a team there that wants to pray with you and celebrate that decision with you. But God, I pray that today you would produce in us, in this church, a remnant people of God that will pursue you and your word and your ways, regardless of what our culture decides that we would embrace and pursue that God-assigned gender, that we would be a countercultural people that are filled with grace and truth for a culture who disagrees with us and, and, and rejects us. God, I pray that we would be a people of compassion that are anchored to convictions and that we would share our convictions clothed in compassion because the culture is not our enemy. They're people that you love. They're people that your spirit is going after. And so God, I pray that you would find a people here that cooperate with you and with your spirit to, to love, to love, to serve and to bless people who reject us, revile us, disagree with us. And God, I pray that you would use us as the name of our church says, like a city on a hill, as we embrace and pursue your good design. I pray that that would make us look like a city on a hill, a light in the darkness. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as our team leads us in worship?